Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy To spank or not to spank? That is the question. I'm not talking about spanks underwear, wearing spanks underwear. I'm talking about spanking a child as a form of discipline. Should we get into it this morning? Can we? Yeah, why don't we just break it wide open here? How many of you spank? No, I'm not. No, don't don't answer that. (laughs) I will ask this though. How many of you, how many of you that are attending here this morning were spanked as a kid? Look at all these hands. Oh, oh, hang on. Some kids here are putting their hands up. What's going on? Um, Steve and Nicole, could we have a... I feel your pain. All of you that were spanked and are currently spanked. (laughs) Although I think they're a little old for it now. Um, I was raised in a home where I received spankings. I was, I was raised in a home where the words were spoken maybe once, maybe even twice, maybe more than that. Just wait till your dad gets home. Any of you remember that phrase being spoken, prophesied over you? <laughs> um, I was raised in a home where, where to manage the scourgings, I developed tricks and plans. I put plates down my pants, comic books. I don't know if any of you tried any of those tactics. It never really worked. I think one time I got away with a comic book. Um, usually they discovered it pretty quickly. It was just a different kind of thud. Um, But it always lightened the mood, which made things a little bit easier. Well, this morning, why am I talking about spankings? This morning is because we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through entire books of the Bible. And we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. And we're going to see a bit of a spiritual spanking, so to say. Um, Last week, if you were with us, we began chapter 12. And we looked at the first, uh, the first three verses of the chapter, which was really to encourage these discouraged Hebrew Christians. Hebrew Christians meaning just simply Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians that were discouraged because they were facing intense persecution. Um, since becoming followers of Jesus, they were losing family. They were losing friends. They were losing finances. They were losing homes. They, they were even losing, in many ways, their religion. Their Jewish religion was being taken from them because of simply now following Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were being very tempted and and encouraged, which made them discouraged. They were being tempted to walk away from Jesus, to to drop out of the race, or at least kind of sink into a bit of a kind of vague, sort of non-distinct, lukewarm kind of Christian life. And so last week was this encouragement we saw in the first three verses to endure, to persevere, to keep running the race. And if you remember, the author encouraged us, look at others that have finished. Remember chapter 11? Okay, what comes after chapter 11? Chapter 12, you guys are quick this morning. Wow. Right, and it begins with therefore. 
So he's saying, looking back at chapter 11, then these people, these heroes of the faith, we call them, that made it, they made it. He's saying, I want to encourage you. You can make it too. You can do it. And then he said, and most importantly, you need to not just look at those that finished before you, but look specifically at Jesus. Look at Jesus who finished the race. And so the author of Hebrews is actually going to continue this theme of encouraging endurance this morning, but not really how we would think of it necessarily. He's going to encourage us to remember God's discipline in the midst of trials and suffering. And how many of you, how many of you, when you are going to be disciplined, think, I am so happy? Nobody? Nobody. No, nobody should. You shouldn't put up your hand unless you're some weird person, right? We don't enjoy discipline. That's not what comes to mind, but somehow the author is trying to encourage these Hebrews and us this morning that when we receive God's discipline, we should actually be encouraged. We should be encouraged because God's discipline is actually a good thing we're going to see this morning. So why don't you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, the seat's in front of you. Um, Underneath the seats, there's Bibles. We've restocked those chairs. There's lots of Bibles there, and, um, and it'll be on page 1008. And I can say that because I think I have the same Bible that are in the seats. So grab a Bible. It makes it much easier to follow along and to kind of know where we're going this morning. So, so Hebrews chapter 12, if you grabbed one of the Bibles, is that correct? Up page 1008, that is correct? Sweet, okay. We're going to begin um, at verse 4, and we're going to look at, uh, I think, up to about verse 12, 13. Um, so why don't we read this passage this morning, and we'll pray before we look at spiritual spankings. It begins in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Why don't we pray? Father, this morning, um, this may seem like a strange encouragement, (laughs) that we receive discipline as your children. But Lord, somehow I pray that this would encourage us today. Lord, I pray for those that are in the congregation this morning that, that even as he spoke of, that have maybe just, they have grown weary, they are faint-hearted. God, that there's a struggle that we're walking through. And um, I pray that today you would remind them that you love them, that you know what they are walking through, that you see it, and that you are going to help them get through it. And so teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to be the teacher this morning as we open up your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you, we thank you God, that it spoke to, to Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago 
and it speaks to us Gentile Christians 2,000 years later. It still applies. It still works. We thank you for the power of it. We love you. We thank you. Amen. All right. The first, the first reason, the first thing we're going to see that God's discipline is good is because it encourages us in his love. That's the first reason we're going to see. And so we're going to start uh, this morning at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So this is where we left off last week. And he basically is continuing with this idea of encouraging endurance. Keep going. He's, he's trying to, don't give up, keep going. But what he's doing here now in verse 4 is he's kind of putting things into perspective. We've been talking about this race, right? That's what the whole idea was last week. And how many of you have ever done a race? Anybody here ever done any sort of race? I know more than you that, there's more of you that have. But if we've done any sort of race or competing, you know that oftentimes you will sweat, right? And and if you can equate that to the, the race of the faith race, if we want to call it that, sometimes we sweat. Things are difficult. Things are hard. And you know what he's telling us here? He's kind of reminding us. He says, don't forget, there was somebody else that sweat in this race. He sweat, but he sweat more than just sweat, didn't he? Thinking of Jesus, what did he sweat? Blood. In fact, he shed his blood. And what he's doing is he's kind of putting things into perspective now for us here. In in many ways, if I can quote Monty Python, is that okay? Is that okay if I can do that? I'm not dead yet. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Not dead yet. And everyone's just saying this, be encouraged. You're still alive. That's an encouragement in itself. There were many Christians that had been martyrs, had died for their faith. And he's saying, listen, yes, you've been resisting, but you're still alive. You're not dead yet. (laughs) Be encouraged by that. That's what he's kind of saying, putting things into perspective. Then he goes on in verse 5, and he transitions more from the race analogy into more of a parenting analogy. And he goes on and says this, verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation? Exhortation, it just means a word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. So are you ready to be encouraged this morning, church? Yes. Good. Okay, there's a few of you. You, you want to be encouraged. Here we go. He's going he's to encourage us right now. He's going to quote Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And here is this encouraging word. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Oh, don't you just feel like you can make it now? Doesn't, isn't that just so encouraging? That exhortation, that word of encouragement that he just gave you. That God disciplines and chastises us. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Nine times. We're looking at ten verses this morning. Nine times in those ten verses, he uses the word discipline. Discipline. Or chastise, as you saw here as well. It's important, obviously, that we understand a little bit of what this word discipline really means. Now, discipline or chastising in the Greek absolutely means what you're thinking. It does. It means spanking, corporal punishment, discipline when you're doing something wrong, corrective behavior for wrong behavior. It means that entirely. But it also means it has with it the idea of training or developing or preparing the understand that, that the Greek word can mean both. In fact, later in the passage, he'll actually say that we've been trained by it, by God's discipline. And that's really the idea here. Because not all discipline by God is corrective. We need to understand this. A lot of it is actually to prepare us for life. Think of it this way. It's almost like a coach or a personal trainer. That's kind of like the idea here. 
with the word discipline. And if you think about a good coach or a good personal trainer, they are going to discipline you because they know what you are capable of. They're going to push you probably to places that you don't want to go. If you've ever had a good, good coach, maybe when you were in school, you'd have to run another set of lines and then another set. And then why? Because they know you're capable of it and they're not going to let you just get by with doing the easy thing. And a personal trainer might say, I want 10 more push-ups. You, you actually start to, to resent them a little bit, don't you? But it's because they know what you are capable of and they're not just going to let you get by. They know how to get the most out of you. And so sometimes God's discipline is corrective to, to keep us from the sin that will destroy us. Absolutely, the word discipline can mean that. It's corrective to stop you from the sin that's going to destroy your life. But it also, other times, is talking about preparation or training because he knows what we are capable of. You know, I've actually heard it said before, you don't make disciples without discipline. Right? Isn't that the truth? They share the same word. Disciple, discipline. You don't make disciples without discipline. And the important thing is what we do when trials or, or when God's discipline comes. There's really two options here that oftentimes we fall into. Look at verse 5 in your text. He, sa- he gives us this word of encouragement. He says one of the options is that you can do what? You can regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's one option. Just kind of be like, oh, whatever, no big deal. The other option, he says, is that you can be weary when reproved. It can crush you. It can destroy you. How many of you have kids? How many of you have more than one child? Anybody here have more than one child? How many of you would know, we had two children, Andrew and I. Our two kids, I mean, they were so different, but even when it came to discipline, I don't know if you've noticed this, those of you that have more than one child, that you can discipline one child one way and you discipline that, uh, your other child the same way, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We had two kids and one of our children, it's perfect because they both fell into these two examples. One of our children, I won't tell you which one, regarded discipline very lightly. This would come up with words like, spank harder, mummy. Oh, did I say we spanked our kids? Oops. <laughs> I think you're allowed still to spank your own kids, so I don't know. Anyway. Uh, like that was that was they regarded discipline a little too light whatever spank harder (laughs) didn't work that time our other child you could not you could you pull a wooden spoon out of the drawer and they were done they were crushed how could you even do that to me and it was like the discipline you you could not you could not discipline them with with a spanking it was rare that we ever spanked that child because it just destroyed them they would, they would, as it says here, they were so weary when reproved. And that child, you just had to look at them kind of crossly, like, oh, I'm so sorry, right? That's all it took kind of thing. You just had to, you just raised your voice and they were crushed, they were destroyed, they thought you hated them. And, and in many ways, I think this is a little bit why we can receive discipline that way as Christians, but also I think why God honestly disciplines us a little bit different from one another. That we walk through different things in life. That God knows what you are capable of. So whether, whether it be discipline for corrective or whether it be discipline for preparation for what he has in store for you. We all get a little bit different because God knows how we receive it. But the, remember, the important thing is this. As verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I mean, personally, wouldn't you rather him just give you candy? I know you love me. Just give me some candy. But he says, no, I love you so much I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to discipline you sometimes correctively, and I'm going to discipline you sometimes in preparation, in training for what I've got in store for you. Because he loves... And so, so strangely, we need to be encouraged when we're facing discipline. 
because it actually shows that God loves us. In fact, secondly, we see that God's discipline is a good thing because it confirms we are children of God. It confirms that we are actually God's child. Look at verse 7. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And of course, you could say daughters in there as well. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Again, you could say, maybe, 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 actually, I just, maybe girls aren't mentioned there because they don't need disciplining. Is that maybe the truth? Is that how? <laughs> not if you know our kids. No, definitely not. Um, Children need to be disciplined. We all know that. But here's the reality. Only the parent can actually physically discipline their child, correct? How many of you would like to maybe discipline your neighbor's kids? (laughs) Now, how many of you would be honest enough to say your neighbors would probably like to discipline your kids? (laughs) Right? Yet we dare not do it. Why? Because only the parent has that right to discipline our child. It's not our right to discipline someone else's kid. They're not our child. And the fact that we face discipline shows whose child we are. That's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Look at verse 8. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Notice what he says there. It is so specifically clear that all have participated in discipline. If you are a follower of Jesus... If you are a follower of Jesus, there will be some sort of discipline that you have faced in your life. In fact, in fact, if someone feels that, hey, you know what, I, I do these things all the time and I seem to always get away with it. Like I never, God never comes down on me. I never, I, I can do whatever I want. What is that actually saying here? What is the author actually saying? He says, you actually need to consider if you're actually a follower of Jesus then. That's what he's actually getting at. You need to consider, do you really know, are you really a child of God? Because he disciplines all of us. Not most of us, not some of us, but all of us. Mother Teresa was disciplined by God. Billy Graham was disciplined by God. We are all disciplined by God. And, and I, think, I think maybe it's, it's, it confuses us because sometimes we feel like when, when hardships come our way, which most definitely trials can be a form of discipline in our life, we feel a little bit like God has abandoned us. Right? We feel like he maybe doesn't love us. And you know what? In fact, the, the exact opposite is actually true. When you walk through difficulty, when you face trials, when you face discipline, it actually is a proof of his love for you. Do you know that? God loves you. And when you're facing discipline, it shows that he loves you. And some of you, God loves a lot. I'll let you figure that one out. And you need to know this, that God's discipline does not mean that he's angry with you. He doesn't hate you. He's not making you pay for your sins. You need to understand this very, very clearly. All the payment for my sin, all the payment for your sin was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. All the wrath that our sin deserved was put upon Jesus Christ. All of it. Every little bit of it. And so whatever we have to endure as discipline, you need to know this this morning, it in no way is meant to be payment or atonement for wrongs that you have done. So you need to just eliminate that, erase that from your thinking right now, that if it's like, I'm walking through this thing in my life that must because of sin, be because of sin. Just take that out, okay? That's not how, that's not, what did Jesus say? What were his final words when he hung on the cross? It is finished. 
to telestai was what he actually said. Do you know what that translates directly into English as? Paid in full. Paid in full. The payment has been made. The wrath of God has been satisfied. The payment for your sin has been paid in full. So, so it's, not, it's not because somebody has sinned that they're facing perhaps some sort of trial. You know, we tend, to, we tend to think that oftentimes though, don't we? When someone's walking through real difficulty, we, kinda, we, we do. We, we think, well, they must have done something. They must have done something wrong. There must be some sort of sin in their life. Do you know that sometimes we go through discipline because we're actually doing really well? Do you know that? It's actually because we haven't disobeyed whatsoever. We're doing so good, God says it's time for some discipline in your life. And don't always think of the word discipline as a spanking, but as training. And God says it's time to do some discipline, some training. Think of the example of Job. Right? Job chapter 1 verse 1, what does it say? It says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Was there sin in Job's life? Thank you, wife, for answering that. <laughs> no! You need to be clear. There, no, it, the Bible is so clear. He, it says even, in fact, that he would offer sacrifice for his own self and then even for his kids in case they had missed something or other. He was so far over and above. He was a man of integrity, blameless, God says. Yet what happened to his life? He lost everything. Everything was taken away from him. Job, in, in some senses, I think we need to think of Job a little bit like a spiritual athlete. Because of his excellence, God, kind of like a good coach, like a wise coach, he allowed incredible stress and pressure, trials, so that, so that Job would reach greater depths of, of spirituality and revelation. That's how we have to take it and understand it. God was like, I have so much more still for you. I'm going to allow these things to happen. I'm going to allow Satan to do this stuff in your life that doesn't make any sense. We can never say it's because of this or that. But we do know this, that at the end of, in very interesting, the last chapter of Job, do you know what Job says? He says after his old, what is it, 44, 45 chapters long, Job, I, I forget how many chapters. Super long. And then at the very end of it all, trying to figure out why it happened, which really never is an answer as to why, per se. But this is what Job says at the very end. You know, he said, I, have, I had heard about you before but now my eyes have seen you. A revelation, a deeper revelation that Job was taken to because of the trials and the sufferings that he went through. I remember, I remember, you know, well, I don't remember so well because I had brain surgery, but um, when I did have my brain surgery with my brain tumor, a very well-meaning Christian sent me a card and said how they're, I'm praying for you and, um, you know, I, I, I pray that you'll heal quickly, that that, you know, there won't be any lasting issues. They're very kind. And then they finished off their card by saying, and I also can't help but wonder if this isn't because of some of the things you say when you preach. <laughs> In other words, what they were saying, I wonder if there's a bit of sin, maybe. Maybe some of the things that you said when you preach, God wasn't too happy with, and this is why you have a brain tumor. I didn't respond. I just was like, whatever, I'd, it's Okay. I get it. We all have weird thoughts. You know what's interesting is that same person, um, they encountered a number of years later some really intense health issues, like really bad stuff. And I remember talking to them. I forget if they wrote me a card. I remember, I remember talking to them, though, and just them saying, by the way, I am so sorry for what I said. 
about perhaps, you know, it was because of what you had been preaching, that you had the brain tumor. And, because they got it. They were like, I don't know if there was something in my life. I, I don't know. I don't know why I was walking through that. And I'll say, you know, I said, hey, you know what? We don't know. We, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of any unconfessed, unknown sin at my life, in my life at that point. But I do know that there was a growth in my life, that there was changes that God did in me as a result of going through that trial and that suffering. And we need to understand this, that we can never, we can never, ever say to somebody that it's because of sin that you are walking through this. There are churches that will teach that. Don't listen to those churches, okay? I'm telling you now. That is not correct theology. There's the example of Job in Scripture. But there's even a better example. Jesus. Jesus suffered incredibly. Was there any sin in his life? Absolutely not. We don't know why discipline comes into our lives. Discipline, whether it be in the form of corrective or whether it be in the form of preparation and training. Sometimes it's corrective. Sometimes it is that slap on the hand because you keep reaching out for that hot stove. And so God's like, stop that. Stop that. That's going to get you hurt. And eventually maybe it's going to get you killed. So stop it. Sometimes his discipline comes in the form of corrective. Correctiveness. But sometimes his discipline is just in the form of preparation or training, like Job. But you need to know this. It is always, his discipline is always because he is a good father that loves us. We have to always have it in that understanding that he is a good father that loves us. Because thirdly, we see that discipline is for our good. It makes us like Jesus. Look at verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now, if we're honest, he talks about our own earthly fathers that would discipline us, and we respected them. And, and if you think about it, how, you know, as a parent, we didn't always get it right, did we, if we're honest? We don't always get it right still, but we do our best. I truly believe that, that as parents, we do our best, but sometimes... You know, when I disciplined, sometimes I was too severe in my discipline. Sometimes I was too lax in my discipline. Sometimes I showed favoritism with my discipline. Sometimes I disciplined the wrong child, right? And sometimes even I disciplined out of my own stress. Do you know what I mean? Like I was angry because something happened to me that day and I was on edge and I just lashed out. I, I, I didn't always get it right. But God always gets it right. And it's always for our good. His discipline, you see, it always has one aim in mind. And that's to make us like him. Like, look at what verse 10 had told us. It said, why? So that we may share his holiness. And you might have all kinds of ideas of what holiness looks like. Living on some mountainside in a monastery or wearing specific clothing or not saying certain things. If you want it, the best definition of holiness is Jesus. Just look at Jesus. That is a picture for us of holiness. And that is what he's saying, that you may share his holiness, that you might look like Jesus. You see, discipline, whether it's corrective or for training, needs to always be understood in the context of this passage that we're, that we're reading it in. And of course, we already looked last week at how we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses to so let us throw up everything that hinders and the, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then what does he say in verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. And we looked at this last week that 
He's writing your story. That's the context we need to understand and always look at our discipline in. He is writing your story. He's authoring it and he's finishing it. He says when it starts, when it's done, he writes all the in-between. And you need to live with that. that confident that this is crazy to think about, but whatever you're facing, I love the term how it's been father-filtered. It's had to, first of all, pass through his hands before it can come to you. Before he allows anything into your life, it has to be checked off before him. And sometimes he'll say, no, 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 that's not okay. That's not going to happen. And sometimes he'll say, yes, that can happen. And you go through trials and struggles and difficulty. But it's always, it's always with this understanding that he's writing our story. And it's hard to understand in the moment, but, but it's for our good. I think of the examples of Scripture. Like, think of people like Joseph. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff that happened to him. You could call that discipline. Being, being thrown into the pit and then sold into slavery, then in prison. All these things that, that happened to him was a form of discipline. You think of Daniel, right? The things that he had to endure and, and go through. All was a form of discipline. Why? Because God had greater things in store for them. That's why. He was preparing them for more. He was training them for the more that he had. But of course, as verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, sometimes we act towards God a little bit like kind of the Kind of like the angry, resistant teenager. And if you're an angry, resistant teenager this morning, I'm not pointing you out. But we don't understand always the, the love and the wisdom with which God is disciplining us. And if I'm honest, I mean, I would love it if God just only gave me ice cream and roller coasters and holidays. That's, please God, show me your love in that capacity all the time. Because I don't realize, I don't understand that sometimes God wants to build something into me that only discipline will bring out of me. And so the reality is this, is we need to learn to ask this. What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to work out in me? What are you trying to develop? What are you training in me in this moment? What are you doing? Because how we respond is the absolute key when it comes to discipline. There's the the old saying, you've maybe heard me say it years ago, that the, the same water that hardens the egg softens the potato, right? The same boiling water that hardens the egg softens the potato. The same environment can do two different things. It can harden one and it can soften the other. And in the same way, when we are walking through discipline, we need to be responsive to God and say, Lord, what is my heart like in the midst of this? Am I growing hard and angry or am I, am I softening to what you want to do in my life? That's the key. Because when we endure it, when we go through it, when we listen for what God is trying to accomplish, and allow him to accomplish it. Here's the cool thing. Verse 11 tells us this. It says the fruit or the result is that later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, I never, I, I never enjoyed disciplining my kids. I don't know if any parent likes disciplining their kids. I did not like it. But, but I disciplined my kids because of the fruit that would come from it, because of the results that would, that would come out of it. It made it worth it. I'll be honest, it would have been way easier for me just to let things slide by, and sometimes I did. Just let it slide, I'm not going to deal with it, just, ugh, I don't have the strength, I don't have the effort, I just want to sit on the couch, right? It would have been way easier sometimes to do that. Especially when your children, you know, like one child, it's, it's kind of like the spank or the timeout just works fabulously. The other child, I'd have to spend like an hour sitting with them, 
trying to explain to them why, why, why they can't be doing this certain thing. And it took a lot of my time, it took a lot of my effort, my energy. If I didn't do that, they, they would be so angry, they felt like I hated them. And so, so the form of discipline for that child was an effort, it was a lot of work. And I, you know what I hated too? I hated, I hated how it would hurt their heart. As a parent, you get it. I hated that it was going to hurt me more than it was going to hurt them, which you never get until you're a parent, right? Those of you that are kids this morning, it hurts your parents. You guys, when your parents spanked you, it hurt them way more. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You hate, you hate having to discipline your kid. But the reason you do it is because of the, the result, the fruit. As it says here, later, the peaceful fruit of righteousness makes it all worth it. You see, instead of continuing in their sin and in their disobedience, what did they have? They had the fruit of righteousness. They had a desire to do the right thing. It changed, right? There, there was a change. There was a desire to do what was right. And you know what? The same is true in our lives. When God disciplines us, there's going to be a desire to live right with him and for him. And there's peace, it says, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because you know this. Who cares what you have? If you don't have peace, there's no point to it. He says there'll be peace made by it as well. And then finally, we see that God's discipline is good because it strengthens and it straightens. It aligns us with God's purposes. Look at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He says this, he says, be encouraged. Don't be down. Don't be discouraged by your struggles, by your trials, by the discipline that you're walking through. Be encouraged that God is at work in your life. Drooping hands, he says, lift them up. Droop. Do you know what the picture is of drooping hands and weak knees? It's like somebody running a race. We're kind of back to that race analogy now. And if you see somebody running like this, you know, they can still go for a while. But if you see somebody coming around a corner like this, right, you know that they're past the point of exhaustion. They're done. They were, they were at the exhaustion point, you know, a mile or two previously. They're totally finished. They can't go any further. And he's saying, he's, he's, he's saying to them, like, listen, to these Hebrew Christians, you might, you might feel like you're out of the race, you're finished, you can't go any further. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel just like those Hebrew Christians. Your hands are, are drooping. Your knees are, you're like, you're ready to collapse any moment to be taken out of the race. You feel exhausted, you can't go on. God, like a good coach, he says, come on, get up. You can do it. You can do it. He says, lift up your drooping hands. I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if it almost is like, just start to praise Jesus. Lift them up. Lift them up. What happens when we worship Jesus? It changes everything. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen those knees. He's like a, a coach. Get back out there. You can do it. You may feel lame. You may feel like a mess. But he says, but I've come to heal. And you see, I love this because when we can't go any further, that's when Jesus steps into our life. And that's the best part of it. When you've got nothing else to give, that's when Jesus steps in. Think of Romans 8.11. It says that if the same spirit uh, that, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, what will he do? He will quicken. He'll give life to your mortal bodies. These, these bodies of flesh that we have that, that break down and fail, that, that are drooping hands and weak knees, the same spirit of Christ lives in you. The same spirit that raised him from the dead. In fact, he, he says this in 2 Corinthians. 
He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, in discipline, essentially, is what he says. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because Christ is in me. Christ is on me. Christ takes over in those moments to the point where Paul says, I love it when I just can't go any further. Because that's when Jesus steps in. You see, he wants to strengthen you in his discipline. He wants to strengthen you with it. But he also wants to straighten your path, he says. You see, God has this purpose in your training to strengthen you with your training but, but also to straighten or to direct you in your training, to the path that he has for you. I, I, think, I think of David. This reminds me of David. David, you know, he was like this little shepherd boy for a season in his life before he was king of Israel, of course. And as a shepherd boy, he went through some really tough stuff, some incredible crisis in his life, some real trials. It, we know that there was a time where, where a lion came, attacked the sheep because he was a shepherd, and took off a sheep, and what would he do? He actually, he didn't just say, okay, lion, get out of here, take your sheep. It says he chased down the lion, he grabbed it, he killed it, and took the sheep back. Don't ask me how, as a shepherd boy. With God's power, that's how. The strength of Jesus. You know what else he did? He also, the same thing happened with a bear. And you would think, I mean, David could have easily, he did the same thing with the bear. He didn't just let the bear take the sheep, he went and grabbed it and killed it, and got the sheep back. And you, I would not blame David for saying something or thinking something like, God, how could you have let this happen to me? God, how could you have let these horrible things go on? Do you know how hard my heart was pounding at that moment, God? I could have been killed by that bear. I could have been killed by that lion. Why did you let these things happen? Why did these things go on? If you really loved me, you wouldn't have let this take place. Right? Why, God? Why? He could have said all those things. Why did you allow such terrible things? But God revealed his wisdom later. Because not long after those moments, David stood before a Goliath of a man. He had to fight this giant in a one-on-one battle. And what did he say? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33 to 37. He said this. He says, I'll go fight this guy. And what does the king Saul say? You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. You're still a youth He's been a warrior since his youth. He's massive. He's a giant. You you don't know what you're doing. But look what David said. He said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Isn't that crazy? David didn't say, why God did you allow this? He said, God, this was all preparation and training. I see now because I've fought a lion and a bear. A nine-foot man? What's that? How many would rather face a nine-foot man or a lion or a bear? I would rather take on a nine-foot man. Honestly, any day. And he's like, what's this? I've done this before. Not a problem. 
But do you see how these difficulties, these trials, this discipline was preparing David for what God had in mind? And the same principle, it holds true in God's training work in our life. That he allows what he allows to align us with the purposes that he has for us, the good things that he has for us. And he's writing your story, the author and the finisher. He's preparing you for good things. So this is the word of encouragement. Don't give up. You might be fighting a lion today. You might be fighting a bear. But in God's strength, you can do it. Don't give up. You know, this morning as we close, just just because God may have allowed you to be knocked down, it doesn't mean that he's knocked you out. He might have allowed you to be knocked down, but don't give up. Get up. We looked at that passage last week in Proverbs. The righteous, the godly, they fall, but they get up again. They get up. And I want to encourage you, take heart. God's discipline in your life right now is a result of his love for you. You know, I, I, th- I, I just think of knowing what some of you are having to endure right now. And it makes me wonder, honestly, what does God have in store for you? What does God have in store for you with what you're enduring right now? What great thing is ahead that he is preparing you for? As the worship team comes back at this time, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, what, where do we go with this? What do we do? And, and I really, really feel like I just want to pray over you this morning. I want us to pray over one another. Because discipline, as we read in the passage, it's painful in the moment. It's never pleasant, is it? And so this morning, whether it's corrective discipline in your life right now, whether it's preparation and training for what God has in store, I I want us to pray this morning. I I want you to be encouraged that God knows what he's writing in your life right now. So Father, this morning... God, we ask that you would strengthen those drooping hands and those weak knees. God, that the hearts that are despairing, that are beyond exhaustion, would experience today your power and your strength, your encouragement, Jesus. Lord, as we go from this place trusting, knowing that you love us, that you are our Father, that you are a good Father, We trust you, God. We trust you. And Lord, we just bless every person in this place this morning. God, whatever we're walking through, whatever we're persevering through, that we would keep our eyes on you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We just bless bless you right now. Bless every one of you in Jesus' name. We thank you so much. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.